Keywords in Play. You're listening to Keywords in Play, an interview series about game research supported by Critical Distance and the Digital Games Research Association. As a joint venture, Keywords in Play expands Critical Distance's commitment to innovative writing and research about games, while using a conversational style to bring new and diverse scholarship to a wider audience. Welcome back to Keywords in Play. In this episode, I'll be talking to Malasa Vas, who's based in Dundee. He was one of the founders of Biome Collective, which is a collective that looks at video games and art and kind of combines them with other creative and social projects. So I guess to get started, could you start by describing how Biome Collective works and the type of creators it brings together? Uh, Yeah, of course. Um, Yeah, thanks for having me. Biome Collective is an interesting one. I think as an entity, most people find it quite confusing because, as you said, we we do games, we do art. There's a social and cultural aspect to what we do. But yeah, I think um, in a very personal sense, I would say that Biome Collective is a collaboration tool, like for me personally, in, in, a, in, a, in a weird way. It started about five years ago, myself and uh, my colleague Tom and a few other people we were in the games industry of sorts. We were involved in, you know, other studios or doing some indie games of our own. But we were somewhat jaded from the commercial side of games being funneled to do kind of games based on numbers, I guess, in terms of like focusing on the economic angle of all things. We started Biome Collective as a way to be experimental, to kind of um, figure out how we can do games, but in a way that's driven by research, I would argue, and in a kind of very spontaneous way. It's also been a bit of a shelter for people who are maybe outside the traditional games bubble. So even myself, even though I've kind of, I went to university, I did the whole games course thing or whatever, but still I think I'm bit of an oddball in the sense that I'm not, you know, I'm not a particular role in games. I do multiple things. And I think Biome has attracted lots of people like that, people who are kind of multi-skilled and people who maybe aren't um, so aligned to the current uh, market of games making, I guess. So it's a bit of a kind of, um, it's a community. It's a community of oddballs and wonderful people um, (laughs) trying to make games and exploring what that means. That's part of a reason why I think it's so interesting to talk to you right now, because I think there is kind of an increasing interest in diversifying the image of what it means to make games or work in the games industry, kind of beyond either having a very specific studio role or just kind of being, you know, a very commercial indie focused person who kind of makes, you know, a single, you know, very packaged game product themselves. And I think collectives and that kind of working structure is a way that people are really interested in that now. So I guess I'm just kind of interested in the collective structure and what was the process of, you know, kind of coming up with this idea, deciding what it was going to do and getting people together. What was that like, especially, you know, in the context of the game industry in Dundee and Scotland? Yeah, of course. I think um, in many regards, uh, Biome Collective uh, was born out out of the context of the local games industry, be it Dundee or even Scotland as a whole. I think um, I had the privilege to travel to Toronto in, uh, I think, 
2015, no, 2014, sorry. And in that time, I was able to visit what was then called Bento Miso, which is a really cool um, collaborative space and collective. And in a way that opened my eyes to making games in a kind of collective environment. It came at a time when I was just winding down a studio I was involved in. And that's when I was kind of jaded from the kind of traditional commercially driven games development scene that is the context of Dundee. There's lots of, you know, small businesses trying to make mobile games, trying to essentially follow the crowd, you know, see what works in the market and duplicate it, you know, make tiny incremental changes and, and try and survive. I, I wasn't too happy uh, being involved in that. In the past, I've done a bit more, slightly more left field and creative projects, more experimental work. And that just made me quite happy. Uh, you know, I felt good doing that. So I wanted to recreate that, the ability to do experimental work, but also combine it with the ability to look after myself through a job, you know, being sustainable. The idea was to kind of band together with other like-minded people and people who may be also struggling with it within the games industry. Bento Miso was one inspiration, but there's been lots of other inspirations worldwide. But also at the time within the city of Dundee, there was a co-working space called Fleet Collective that, you know, it was not nothing to do with games. It occasionally did house game developers, but it was a general co-working space. And again, that was another inspiration because I didn't want to be housed with just a bunch of other game devs. I wanted to be in a space with other creative people, and that could be anyone and everyone. I wanted people who were more so outside the games bubble. Because again, I felt that those were the conversations that I prefer to have when I'm being creative, when I'm trying to come up with game ideas, new stories to tell, etc. There was definitely a lot of different threads that kind of combined in and me winding down the previous studio I was involved with, me and the other kind of co-founders of that studio. And me realizing that actually Dundee was quite special in the sense that there was this kind of backdrop of games industry, lots of small studios. So, you know, if things were to go wrong, I could potentially get a job if I had to. But the the local creative community, which was, you know, um, a lot more open, whereas the games community was more of a kind of isolated and silos. But the local creative community was very open and collaborative and supportive. And I just felt that with the fact that there were, there were this kind of steady flow of graduates coming out of DJ Card and Abate, I felt that there was a good spot for something different and experimental, something that would be more for kind of contractors or freelance people. And so that was how it started. And, you know, for the first year, for the most of the first year, there was about two of us, and it became three towards the end of that year. The year following, it became, you know, four, five, six. And we're five years in now, and there's about, I think, just over 20 of us. Quite a broad spectrum of people. There are people like me who are trying to make games and art full-time. There's probably six, seven, eight of us now who, who are in that mold. There are other people who are researchers. I mean, we've actually got people who are teaching games at Abate, in fact, at the moment, to a part of Biome Collective. We've got a PhD student at the moment. We recently added a member who's a kind of admin person. So it's quite a mixed bunch of people, uh, which has been really good. And what's been really interesting is, with COVID in mind, our transition from physical space to the online community has been very smooth. And actually, we've actually flourished as an online community more than we ever did as a, as a co-working space in Dundee. 
Yeah, and I mean, that's also a big part to consider because due to a lot of the venues, you know, having to close and a lot of things being cancelled, the arts are under, you know, such a huge amount of stress right now, trying to cope with, you know, the lost events and lost, you know, income and commissions from that. It's interesting to hear kind of how a more dispersed collective can kind of adapt the projects and goals to that in a more productive way than just working by yourself. Oh yeah, absolutely. It kind of, um, I think it's been very beneficial to our members, you know, as collectively. I can imagine that there'd be a lot more people kind of a bit more lost and bewildered, whereas we've had this ability to kind of connect, you know, stay in touch, you know, using online tools, be it Slack or Discord, etc., or you know, various different game, gaming platforms to kind of bring us together. And that's been quite wonderful. And I think actually we've grown over the past six, eight months. More people have kind of come to Biome. There's been a few people who've actually left game industry jobs because, you know, they, they're in a position where they want to experiment, they want to try things in their own way. And Biome as a community has kind of allowed them to do that, has supported them in that decision. I feel that without us being there, some of those people might never have made that jump. And, you know, for, for us, it's not about how we're doing things is the right way. It's not really about that. It's about we're a small part of a much bigger ecosystem. And there are people that have kind of come to Biome and then moved on to get jobs in the industry and vice versa. It's a lot more fluid and, and we're trying to be supportive of that. And that comes with its own challenges when you're such a fluid organization with a flat hierarchy just to kind of point out that, you know, we are a flat hierarchy where possible in a sense. Um, there is a bit of, um, that we are an official company structure. We're a company limited by guarantee. That was a choice that we had to make about within a year to incorporate. That was primarily to actually engage in, you know, funding and mm. to be recipients of particular funding, etc. We had to incorporate. But we've, we've kept it as a flat hierarchy but within that, you know, there's people like myself and others who are a lot more adaptable at being kind of freelancers and occupy more production roles in terms of getting projects into the collective. Whereas you can imagine for some people, they just want to make art or they just want to make music. And, you know, it, it, it can be challenging for others in terms of how they fit in. So we've tried to our best to kind of um, use it as a platform to collectively attract investment into creative projects and also tend to redistribute that kind of uh, income across the membership in terms of who's available for projects, etc. But it's very challenging. It's not at all easy. And we've definitely had people who've joined and, you know, it wasn't the right fit and they've had to kind of just do other things because it just wasn't right for them or us and vice versa, you know? Yeah, I mean, that is a good kind of stance to have on it rather than saying like, oh, you know, working collectively rather than working at a studio is kind of the the one way to do it because then that kind of gets standardized in a different way. You know, it can't really be super adaptable. But looking at the projects that Biome's been involved with and all of the organizations and sources of funding you've been able to get and the different people that you're working with, a lot of the work involves working across multiple arts or cultural institutions or kind of, you know, social settings, or you said even research. How do you initiate some of these collaborations and what does that process end up being like when you have a project and you have to connect it with either a funding source or people in the collective who are interested in working on it? So I guess um, obviously every project is very different and we've kind of year on year things have changed. But there's kind of this idea of the triple bottom line of considering economic, social 
and cultural benefit to creative practice. And I'd like to think on some level that's helped us to attract particular projects and particular partnerships because we don't just focus on, you know, how much money is this going to make us or how much will it cost and that kind of stuff. We also think about, well, you know, what's the social good here? What's the social impact? And even beyond that, you could argue that what's the cultural impact and good that this project can you know, benefit us and other people. So we've always had that approach to our practice. And I think that's naturally attracted particular organizations to us. Most of our work has been you know, grown organically in terms of relationships with local organizations and institutions within Dundee, which is a very small and, and so very collaborative city. But then that's also then scaled out across Scotland and then other international organizations and bodies. Generally speaking, we, like, you know, we try and stick to that mantra of having a flat hierarchy on a project. We kind of emphasize that everyone has the right to be very creative in a project. So we try and make sure that, uh, especially early on on a project, that we listen to as many voices as possible, be it within the team in terms of, oh, I do art or production or code or even our potential client or project partner, and then even beyond that, potential audience groups. So we do a lot of co-design. And I think because of our approach, it just led to more and more projects within that sphere of primarily arts organizations willing to take a punt on us experimenting on something. Because I think we're quite honest and direct about, we don't necessarily know what we're going to get at the end of a process, but we're we're quite confident in our ability to experiment, to listen, to iterate and create stuff, whatever that might be. In the same way that Dundee is a small city and there's collaboration, Scotland is also a small country. So the word spreads quite fast and we've kind of consistently um, engaged with Creative Scotland as our arts body in terms of funding. And we've consistently delivered you know, good quality projects considering it's public money. So we brought good value for every, you know, penny spent or whatever. So that's been very helpful. And I think within Biome as a collective, we've just tried to keep doors open in terms of giving people experience of work on experimental projects. And people have enjoyed that. It's, it's been able to sustain a core group of us for a number of years. Uh, there had definitely been pain points, like, and then you know, they will continue in the future. Like, certainly at times, we, we've not been able to pay market rates in terms of some of the skills that we're able to provide. And so likewise, you can imagine for, you know, some, some people who are within Biome, they've had to get work outside Biome or, like I said earlier, move on and get job jobs based on their needs and circumstance, which is totally fair enough. And I think that's kind of helped keep us on our toes as well, which has been quite good. Going back to what you said about how you approach these projects, you use the term co-design, which I guess is collaborating with these organizations, but also with audience groups and with other people in the collective to kind of decide what the outcome will be rather than like pitching the exact outcome from the start. How do you explain that process or make sure that they're, they're comfortable with it? Yeah, of course. Generally speaking, whenever I've engaged with kind of especially public contracts and to official tendering services from local government or wherever, you always have this weird thing where you get this really horribly written brief in terms of, you know, someone's clearly had an idea and consulted a few people. They've written into this kind of really horrible brief, which is very counterproductive. And generally speaking, if we see something like that, we try to avoid it. However, if, if it's something that we feel there's good merit in, you know, be it economical, it's social and it's cultural, 
we'll try and engage with people directly and we'll just be very honest. We'll say, you know, we believe our process will give you better results, to be frank. And to be honest with you, it's more often been the case that people have come to us and they've just said, hey, you guys do cool stuff. What can you do here? And so actually we've been afforded a lot of patience by a lot of interesting partners that we've worked with, which has been very good to us. I think our work tends to be quite public. We've done a lot of public work in terms of games that are both digital and physical. And that's helped connect us to lots of people, which has been good. Documentation is always a pain point for us. We never have enough time and money to document things properly. Our website's always old and all that kind of stuff. But when we do do it, we do a good job and we engage in a lot of kind of public discourse. So we'll attend conferences and share as much as possible. So all that kind of giving back to the wider community is always, you know, benefits to us directly and indirectly. But, you know, there are projects like, like Killbox, for example, you know, that, that even predates us being called Biome Collective. We were just known as the, you know, Tom Mal doing weird experimental stuff in Dundee. And at the time, our future collaborator, Joseph Delap, was just doing a residency in Dundee at the university. And we were connected via Neon Dish Last Festival. Joe basically had this brief and he just wanted to make a game about drone warfare. And people were like, hey, you should speak to Tom Mal. They're doing cool stuff. They, they're quite experimental. And so Joe being someone who's, you know, comes from an arts background, he was open to us being experimental. We worked with Joe very closely. So again, it wasn't a case of he gives us a brief and then we run off with it. We just spent time together in our co-working space at the time. And that resulted in a, in a prototype uh, and a very simple, you know, prototype that was put together. But what was really interesting is that moving forward with that prototype, we managed to exhibit it over a year and a half of part-time development. And every time we'd exhibit it, we'd essentially be co-designing with the audience. People would come in, they'd play, we'd have a chat, and that audience would constantly give us more insight and feedback. And it's never a case of just doing what the audience thinks they want. It's a case of actually reaffirming some of our design principles and ideas that we were set to do, you know, because we are, this is what we do, this is our craft. And so we know what we're doing, but also we have to sometimes park our egos and just listen to the audience. There was a Dundee event, first and foremost, uh, a creative Dundee event that we showed it off. I think maybe five, 10 people played it. And we took it to Edinburgh for Games for Everyone. It was in a pub setting. I think maybe a few hundred people played it and so on and so forth. And it ended up being, you know, in various different design and art festivals and biennales, mm. etc. I remember that one. I think I, I think I saw several stages of that, that journey, you know. But yeah, kind of going back to the way that that evolved. You know, you described uh, working more in like regular game industry roles to making these more like experimental art exhibition piece type games, which is more along the lines of um, Joe DeLapp's other work. And you've also done some really large scale things that are kind of like these major public projections on buildings. Do you think there's any kind of goals or themes that you think tie together all these different approaches? It's uh, a good question. I think um, there are different commonalities in the sense that sometimes, you know, you, you have an idea and it gets expressed in various different ways across multiple projects based on opportunity and context and appropriateness. So there's definitely some common threads through most of our work, actually, in some, in some ways that maybe some things that 
we see that maybe others don't see, we can connect those dots. Maybe it's not always easy to connect them from an outside perspective. We're always trying to push the boundary of, you know, what games are, you know, in terms of, you know, what, what constitutes a game. You know, at what point is it just a traditional piece of art or an interactive piece of art? At what point is it a game? You know, does it have to be playful? Does it have to be fun? All that kind of stuff. But yeah, we're constantly trying to push that, you know, the kind of what is the medium? What does it mean? All that kind of stuff. And and also, in a way, we're always pursuing new and interesting collaborations. I certainly, I'm, I love collaborating with people. I think that's why I love making games, because quite often I do it in collaboration with others. I think I just really enjoy working with other people and sharing my perspective, but also gaining other people's perspectives about life and, and what it means and how we can express ourselves, etc. The other thing is we're always responding to technology. As much as I, I hate that, and I don't want to be driven <laughs> by tech, and I'm always trying to fight against that, there is a thing about having fun with new technology and just seeing what it can do, what it's capable of, how you can, you know, tell a story using this new wonderful tech or inspire people to have particular feelings or emotions. I always enjoy that, though I'm always trying to downplay that because I think that's one of the biggest problems with games is that we're, we're overly reliant on the tech and we go down these rabbit holes that actually uh, are counterproductive to creating good design or good art even. Yeah, I guess... On the one hand, it is kind of these new interesting things you can do, but you don't kind of want to just, you know, lean into making it like bigger and fancier just for the sake of, you know, using the latest things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and quite often you get drawn into that, actually, especially when we're working with, you know, anyone outside the games bubble. Sometimes they're like, you know, I want a VR thing because VR is cool, whoever. And so sometimes, you know, quite often you're having to educate people you want to work with. Uh, not only do you have to develop the language of collaboration and working together, but also there's an educational process. It goes both ways because obviously you want to understand them and maybe their audience and their needs, but also you want you want to explain your best practice and your ideas and your thoughts about what's potentially the best possible solution for the thing they want, you know? So um, I'm definitely someone who's a lot more driven by collaborative projects. Within those collaborative projects, I like to carve out my own space for self-expression. Um, I find that more, a lot more comforting. Whereas you know, in the past, whenever I've had my own projects to do, they always get kind of put on the back burner. But that's the other side of Biome Collective is that we are, you know, we're here to allow our membership to experiment, to develop their art and their practice, and to give them the confidence to do that. So it has helped me as well, because I think if I just stuck to normal industry jobs, I would have developed very particular skills, you know, collaborative skills, which are great, but very particular skills. Whereas I think mm. being part of Biome Collective, I've got quite a broad range of skills. And I've got this flexibility and freedom to just to try new things. You know, like I'm, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not the 3D artist that, you know, graduated 10, 12 years ago, whatever. I'm not the junior designer that kind of got various jobs, all these different roles, all the technical artists that I did, you know, did a bunch of work in that kind of area for a while. I'm not any of those roles, which I find quite freeing. Of course, within a particular project, I can be, I can do that particular role and, you know, absolutely. But I don't like to hold on to these labels. And working as a collective has kind of allowed me to get rid of those labels, but also to embrace them when I need to, because at the end of the day, it's all about kind of working with other people and communication and 
you know, that's why we have labels for things and it's to communicate. Uh, but it's just knowing that you can also just park these things because <laughs> on some level it's actually absolutely meaningless, you know? Especially with games, you know, like what is a game artist? <laughs> I mean, what does that even mean? All these terms are very confusing. Yeah, and I think it's it's also it's also something that definitely changes a lot as there becomes different different tools or different things to use that let people kind of have a more personal stake in a game that they're making or, you know, the very high-tech stuff that you kind of almost have to collaborate on because it's so complicated. That kind of goes into the last question. What would you like to see in Biome's future in terms of project or support or opportunities that you can offer its members or, you know, its structure, goals in general? So I think... Um... Always, always thinking about the future. Always have hope and aspirations for what we can and you know what we should do. Biom Collective has helped a core uh, membership to be sustainable over five years, doing experimental work, which I'm very proud of. However, I would argue that you know I, I wish we could afford to support more people. You know, a lot of our projects have been quite small, and which you know has helped that core, small core group. But we've not been able to kind of support, you know, a wider membership. And that's probably one of the main reasons why we don't, you know, it, we're not trying to grow the membership. We don't advertise. It's strictly word of mouth, really. So ideally, moving forward, I'd like to be able to support a wider membership and a more diverse membership. I think diversity is something that can always, you know, in the, in the current reality that we live in across the world, uh, where there's so much division and misunderstanding about people and identities, I think there's there's something we could always uh, improve on and, and be much better at. Uh, but beyond that, I'd love to be able to tackle more ambitious projects. We, we've definitely kind of tackled more and more ambitious projects year on year. But I'd just like that to kind of continue. And for us, really, to kind of be a lot more self-sustaining without having to rely on arts funding or even commercial funding, I'd like to kind of be able to generate enough revenue as a collective to be able to go, right, let's invest money into the collective. Let's give everyone, you know, the ability to go, actually, for the next six months, you could do your own stuff without having to worry about client work or partnerships. Or, you know what, here's some money. Who do you want to work with out there? You can bring money to the project. So that would open up even more doors for more people. Mm. It's definitely been a long-term ambition to be able to have grants within the Biome Collective uh, community. And I've seen other people do it. I've seen other kind of organizations outside the games world try and do that and do it to varying degrees of success. I think one of the challenges I find within games is the fact that our process can be very, very intricate and complex. And that just simply takes more time and energy. And, you know, that can then obviously equal more money or more resources being required, especially when you're dealing with new technology, for example. And that's a frustration. I find it frustrating that what we do, it's not always the case, but it can be expensive. You know, it can easily cost a lot of money. And I find that really frustrating because that's clearly a barrier to, to people from disadvantaged economical backgrounds to come into games making as an art form, which I find frustrating. So yeah, again, another good reason why we want to be able to give out grants and, and support people financially in a more systematic way. I'd like to be able to get to a position where we have, you know, enough money to say, actually, you know what, for the next 10 years, here's how we're going to spend our money, uh, you know, collectively within the collective and then out with the collective to support a range of people 
to give this a go because I think you know, games making as an art form is so wonderful, it's so much fun, it's so creative. I think it allows a lot of people to communicate and express themselves that would you know, find it quite hard to do that, be it through traditional art, the art world or other creative practice in general. I do think that we can offer quite a unique creative pathway to a lot of people who would get a lot of joy out of it, you know, and can make really interesting artwork that would benefit even more people, you know? So I've got quite a hopeful future <laughs> where it's all rosy and we're giving out money to everyone. That's kind of happening to a certain extent, not to the, not to the, the scope I would like, but we're slowly getting there. Yeah, well, um, I guess that's about all the questions I had, so that was extremely interesting. I think you went more in-depth than I even anticipated, so thank you so much for your time. I don't know, thank you. really appreciate uh, your time too, and thanks for listening. Um, yeah, that's awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Keywords in Play. For more great ideas around games, check out criticaldistance.com or take a dive into the Digra archives at digra.org.